the show with Breaking the Dice, and I am here today with Jay. What's up? And Paul. Hi, everybody. And I have a lot to cover today. We've got some exciting stuff coming at you guys. Uh, Jay and Paul got to play L5R, which is Legend of the Five Rings. We've also got some updates on the Stolen Dinosaur Island game from Gen Con. And we got to do our first playthrough of Pandemic Season 2. We got to do the prologue and January. So we're going to try to knock out some spoiler-free content for that. First off, let's talk about anything we've played this last week. And I think for us, we just had a big Halloween party game day thing at mm -hmm. Village Geek. We got to play Viral, which, we, I mean, if it yep. wasn't obvious, that game's great. We've yep. really enjoyed that game. So it's a great, fun little little area control game. Works really well at the max player count. Yeah, which you was know, really that's, nice. That's it didn't, nice. It didn't stretch it out very far. I was a little nervous with that because those games can seem to add like 30 minutes every time you add a player. And I really didn't feel that with this game. This was a Gen Con release, mm -hmm. and it's an area yep. control. Your your different diseases fighting, yep. Ra ravaging some poor man's body, <laughs> so, while the doctors and his immune system try to fight back to save him. <laughs> so he's kind of a grim grim theme, but it, it plays really well. It's a lot of fun. The the uh, the mechanics of the board are very much you know you're, you 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 kind of have to follow the blood flow to move around. Um, you're trying to trying to kind of mutate your your virus to protect itself or which is to a, which is a deck building aspect yep yeah a little bit of that so it's, yeah it's 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 a lot of fun we we keep bringing it to the table it's it's you know kind of the, some of the new gen con stuff but it, it keeps making it back to the table it always seems to draw draw people over you know it's, so i mean with, with viral this was my first playthrough of viral and i know we didn't really finish the game uh, but the one thing that really did catch me kind of off guard and that I wasn't expecting was that the game really does move quick. As you're going through, you start the game out, and you have just a set. Everybody has the same cards. And so you're just picking an action and what position in the body you want to infect or that you're taking those actions in for the most part. Mm -hmm. And because everybody's doing this simultaneously, and then you're just moving around... You pretty much have your your turn planned out when we go around to each player, so the flow goes really quick. And I mean, it just once once everybody got used to the game, which it took the first round to kind of get used to it. Even with Kyrie, who's eleven, and you know the strategy was still kind of trying to sink in there, it still flowed really well and moved along really quickly. We started just chugging along, and that was a really nice thing. And something I really mm -hmm. liked about the game is the art is really pretty, but it moves really quick too. And so that style of game has a tendency to drag sometimes as people get, get some AP going on, trying to make up their choices mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're so limited. I mean, your hand does really have a limit to what it can do. You're not, it's not a normal deck builder where you get this huge massive deck of cards and you typically have four locations in your hand at a time and maybe mm -hmm. five, six, seven actions that you could choose from. And it, it chooses really quickly, moves along. So it, it mm -hmm. helps to cut down on that, on that slow player or anything else. Yeah, it's got a really good, really good kind of action economy system that that i think is interesting it's with that you have basically all of your cards are in your hand all of the time except for the cards that you used in the last round those aren't available to you so you can't kind of do the same thing over and over again you can't really monopolize one part of the body so so there's a big element of it that's that's sort of you know picking picking a part of the body that you're not particularly interested in in uh, consolidating your control on 
but using that to leverage a position somewhere else in the body. And that gives you some some kind of creative plays and, and, and affects the value of certain certain upgrade cards that you can get. So it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting game in how it flows like that. Yeah, we also, uh, you know, Paul was talking about things that draw people around the table. We, we got to play a five-minute dungeon, mm-hmm. and at first it was, it was slow. People were, were not were like, mm, let me see what this is about, and, and wouldn't really hop in and do it. I think after the, uh, the first five minutes, then we actually kind of almost had like a line of people like, yeah, sure, I'll try. I'll yeah. try. <laughs> yeah, and it was about, about half of the players... Would would drop out at the end of each at the end of each dungeon run, and then uh, and then and then we get we set up the next run, and then we'd have just as many people that would jump in and replace them. So so it was kind of a weird kind of you know mixed group of some people. Some people would stay for one round and then go do something else, and then other people stuck around a little bit longer. But it was swapping in and out constantly. And it's such a casual game that it doesn't really matter that they weren't there for the, no. the previous round. We're all still gonna going to jump in and do our thing. I think with as many plays as we've got in of that game, it's it's a lot of fun, but I feel like we're we're getting control of it. I feel like it's starting to get too easy. It is starting to get a little easy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I would agree with that. But I think it still does great for a party game for, yeah, when you've got a lot of people around a table. Yeah. Yeah. I think and it still does great. Great appeal. And, and yeah, you put a five-minute five minute timer on the clock. I mean, that's not necessarily a full game, but you can get in a full run, and it's... It's five minutes, win or lose. Yep. And if you don't put it down in front of people that play games every weekend, you know, almost religiously, it makes a difference with that too. Oh, I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. I an experienced gamer takes takes that game and figures it out, streamlines it really quickly. A uh, new group or, you know, somebody you're not really used to, there's a different dynamic there that, that changes the gameplay of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think this is definitely one of those that can uh, go to family gatherings or things like that where you don't normally have gamers, and you'll see that that uh, that difficulty seems to be a whole lot higher than when you have mm-hmm. a whole group of gamers there. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think it's going to be the kind of game that it's going to be fun for a while, and then um, we're pretty quickly going to destroy that game, and it's <laughs> going to be unplayable. So I think I think it will live just as long as it needs to live. Yep. Um, you know that that kind of a fast-paced, aggressive play is really not good for a card oh, game. Oh no, we've already so, got cards so that are showing. But you know, it's it's a it's a small, cheap, yeah. kind of super casual game. So I think I think that's it's kind of the perfect fit. It will be it's worn just, out by the time we don't want to play it anymore. It just begs yeah. for somebody to reach for something in water, soda everywhere. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know that would hurt the game that much. Yeah, I mean, just keep, I mean, keep the just drinks keep... back away from the table oh, while you're yeah. playing. It's a good just plan. Keep going. Play through the soda. It's part, mm-hmm. of, it's part of the challenge. Uh, so you guys got to play Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah, so I'm going to let you guys cover that. What 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 are your thoughts? How'd it go? I thought the game played really well. I know Paul and I's game drug on. I mean, it was a four-hour game, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the game the game we played, like, just, just right off the top, the game we played wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> but I don't blame the game for that because I feel like you know, I feel like I'm sitting there and and I kind of see the flow of the game and I see how, how these things could interact. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, I don't really know what this deck's trying to do. Like, this is kind of, you know, one of the, the starter decks you throw together real quick and easy. And I'm like, I don't really know what we're going for here. Like, this doesn't seem like it's working all that well. Um, and that, that was a little bit frustrating. But then it's like, well, you don't, you don't go out and buy... Uh, well, I guess these days you really could, but you know you generally don't go out and buy a pre-built Magic: The Gathering deck and 
and play that and then you know that that gives you the real experience it, it is it is a deck builder you have to build you have to build your own deck and i can see a lot of a lot of potential there so i don't i don't want to judge it too harshly off of that one that that first play yeah it, like i said the game drug on for four hours some of that was you know, I, I credit an hour of that to us just trying to figure out the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to figure out the rules as we were playing through it, things like that. And then the other three hours are more of just because we're unfamiliar with the cards, unfamiliar with the game, mm-hmm. it drug it on a lot longer. Yeah, you know, and, and we're in a, we were in a busy, you know, a busy store. And so some of that time was just the sort of natural conversations that come up as people are walking by and, um, that you know that that part was you know that's not the game's fault either. That's just because we're we're fairly casual players about this sort of stuff. We weren't. This wasn't a tournament. The tournament rules I've I've seen from Fantasy Flight. This is a Fantasy Flight produced game. It's meant to be more of a CCG style, but they're using LCG boxing. So it's not packs that you're buying to try to get your cards like a Magic or something of that sort. Yeah, it's. Everything is the same in the box. Everybody has access to the same cards if they buy the same number of boxes. There's a limit to how many of each card you can put in. Mm-hmm. And then you're building your deck to compete against other decks. Similar to more like a war game style, just with cards. And so there's a lot of strategy to it like you would get out of a CCG. But it's even more so because everybody has the same cards that they're building their decks from. And so it's how you want to bring out the best deck to battle with and how it's going to match up against all the other possibilities that are out there where magic kind of just has such a large gamut of cards and, and ways you can go about playing and building a deck that there's so many different options mm-hmm. that you don't see that same dynamic in there. But I think, I think modern magic has kind of kind of evolved to the point where realistically, if you're talking about competitive play, uh, there are probably, you know, there are probably, you know, six to ten real decks available, based on the sets that are the sets that are out, and you know what works well. I think you, you, when you go to tournaments, typically most of the decks that you're seeing fit into the the basic archetypes and the basic the basic decks that seem to really work with those sets. So in, in reading the tournament rules for L5R, not to scare anybody off, the, the round limit's going to be an hour. In a, in a tournament mm-hmm. setting, which was interesting considering our, I mean, our playtime was three hours minus, yeah. you know, rules time sort of thing. To cut that down to an hour is kind of interesting, but I think as you get more familiar with the cards, the flow goes a lot quicker. You're, you're back and forth. You're not sitting there for five to ten minutes trying to figure out what you're going to do and, and strategizing for ahead. Mm-hmm. You kind of know and you're, you have a plan. You know what the other cards in your deck are. You know what you're what what to expect coming up here pretty soon on, on in your deck somewhere, and so the, it can help speed those things up. You know the cards that your opponent's playing. You're not trying to read their cards and figure out what they're doing, and so I, I think that'll speed things up a little bit. And it, it, I think it'll play really well to a tournament setting, uh, similar to what Fantasy Flight does with their other tournaments and in X Wing mm-hmm. and Imperial Assault. Armada, those sorts of things. So it, it's going to play very much the same with a Swiss-style format and then a, a top tier uh, where you have a, a single elimination. So now, now looking into looking into how the how the tournament play is going to work and, and your potential there, wh- what do you think your... 
like what do you think your total buy-in is going to be here like so we, we talked about it kind of when you were, when you were picking it up you you buy the base set and you basically get well you, you know you get all of the cards but when you're talking about building a a competitive tournament deck you don't have enough of the right cards to really make that competitive so so how what do you, where do you think you're going to be at there as far as to to put something together that will be competitive uh, are you in it for two or three sets or maybe even more? So right now, I mean, the most set sets you need is three based off the card limitations that they put on a built deck as being, I believe it's three cards of uh, three copies of any single card per deck. Okay. So that, I mean, that limits how many base sets you need to three. You can build a, a pretty decent competitive deck off two starter sets. Three would be the ultimate so that you would have as many copies as you need of each card mm -hmm. uh, beyond that you're looking at as they release expansion sets how many of the each of those are you going to need and that's where the the big question is going to come in because i mean they're going to add more dynamics and more more cards that everybody's mm -hmm. going to want and so are you going to need three of each expansion set as well to have the best deck mm -hmm. or to have the ability to build some of the extremely competitive decks out there yeah. or do, and that's or do you where think, the big question is going to come in do you think they might start pushing for um you know for faction specific expansions like we, we have something something in the neighborhood of uh the nine nine different clans in the base set yeah i mean i could definitely see them going some route like that i mean similar to it'd be no different than what you effectively do with x-wing where you have separate ships yeah and each ship comes with a specific set of cards. And now, I mean, some of those cards cross between multiple ships. And so you can get them through these couple different ships. But you have to buy one of those two ships to get that card. They could do the same thing and release just faction sets. And not just a large box all with mm -hmm. 900 cards in it or whatever it is. Yeah. Because, and, you know, this is, this, is, this is a kind of game that, unlike, unlike our traditional CCG where... You know, you, you, you buy your packs to get the cards that you want, and then you're, you know, you're, you're dumping off the others, selling them off, or, or you know, whatever else you do to kind of cut down on just that bulk with, with the way they're putting this out and the way L most LCGs work. You know, if you buy your three sets to get three of that one card that you need, you have a lot of extra cards that you're never using. Correct. And you don't necessarily want to trade those off either, and that's the problem is... You want all those because you might want to build a d deck differently the next time or build multiple decks and try to mm -hmm. play different stuff. And depending on who you're playing or, you know, just to try out some different things, you don't want to have to dismantle your deck every time to put those some of those cards into the other deck or, you know, move them back and forth and around how you want. It's like you would do with, with a, a war game or something like that where it's easy just to swap out miniatures or some of the car upgrade cards that you're using because it's not this... 40 card deck um and trying to remember exactly what you had in there and things like that so i mean there, there's some there's some benefit to having all the extra cards if you're if you're getting into it for the competitive reason and you enjoy that competitive you enjoy the world of, of l5r and the story behind it but from the other aspect of it's a lot of it's a lot of extra stuff to buy every time i mean if mm -hmm. you have to have yeah. three of every expansion to be at that competitive market, I mean, the starter set's 40 bucks, mm -hmm. So you buy three of those, you're in for 120 just to get a competitive deck today, or, or the top-tier deck today. 
And then once an expansion releases, I mean, are you if you buy three of those, and even if they're priced at $30 instead of 40 because they have less cards in them, and you're still looking at another 90 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it'll you, be interesting you, to see what they do as the expansions come out and what you'll have to have to, yeah. to stay competitive. And you can always compare that, that kind of cost to, to a CCG. You know, you think, oh, yeah. you think I, I'm $120 in if I, you know, if I want to play competitively, if you don't want to be competitive, get one set and you can build, you know, you can build four different decks out of that probably pretty easily. Um, maybe not four, maybe only you can only get a couple out of one set, but still you can you can build enough to to play off of that one set. But if you're talking about something like like a, like Magic the Gathering, you know, $120 that's that's a that's a box of boosters, you know. That's, yeah, that's, that's one booster box. That's you're going to get some good cards out of that, but you're probably still hunting around for a few more few more of the rares that you need to make make whatever deck you're trying to build function. So, uh, so like the buy-in, it does seem it it does seem a little high just just coming from a from a tabletop board game perspective like why would i ever buy 3 copies of the same board game but you know when we start talking about lcgs and then especially the comparison to to ccgs i feel like this is not a bad investment i think there's a lot of there's a lot of game here there's a lot of a lot of potential um you know once the you know once once the 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 real competitive scene heats up you'll see you'll see some decks kind of rise to the top and see which ones are better than others, which clans work better. Uh, but you know, for, for the game, I thought it had a lot of a lot of interesting mechanisms. A, a lot of cool things were going on. I think with a better deck, I could see this being a lot of fun. And the and the clans do play very differently, and I think that'll that'll bring in a different aspect because you're gonna. I mean, there there are things that are going to rise to the top as being better than another. But it's going to be interesting to see the different builds that people have because it is a new game. And as they build their decks and how everybody's building differently for the first three to six months until some sort of meta comes out like it does with any of those right. style of games. Uh, but it, it, it'll it definitely be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I've got to get a deck built for mm-hmm. a competitive format and see kind of... Yeah, you play got, around at the geek with it a little bit. You got you've got your first homework assignment. You need to you need to bring home an L5R trophy. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. No no promises. <laughs> Just as my perspective on an outsider, I didn't play the game. Um but I think for for me the the big wall as somebody who really doesn't get into LCGs um was the buy-in. Like the idea of you've got to buy 3 to get in mm-hmm. and be competitive. I think that's going to keep me out of it, but if that's if you're somebody who likes LCGs and likes that I'm with you guys. I don't yeah. think that's really asking a lot, especially when I think mm. um, I believe Jed was telling us that the booster packs they're releasing, you're going to know what's in them. So yeah. you're not going to have to blind open packs and hope you get what you want. Yeah, and you can appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. So Paul, speaking of, of games that involve LCGs, uh, Paul and I recently purchased Millennium Blades. This is a cool game from Level 99 Games. And it's basically a game about collectible card games. So you're basically, you know, you're starting with your little booster packs at the beginning of the game and you build up to the world championship where you're trying to build the best deck. It's very meta. It sounds Mm. very amazing. Yeah, Um, we'll we'll be we'll definitely be talking about this uh, a lot a little bit more in the future. Hopefully, a lot more, but maybe maybe just a little bit more. But we we, we've got to rant a little bit here. Yeah, all of this. So I thought I would open up the box, get a good look at it because it is a heavy game. 
Um, according mm-hmm. to Board Game Geek, the weight on this game is actually heavier than Twilight Imperium 4. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little bit heavier game. So I thought I'd crack it open. And the first thing you have to do, take the stack of Monopoly money and you bundle it into these little bundles and you're putting these little sticker paper. This is a hot mess. So this has stemmed from us a conversation of, like, poor production choices yeah. in games. Like, this game already has a price point of, like, $70, I think, yeah, 70 now, or $80. Now, like, to, to clarify this, you're you're bundling up this, this money in, in these sets of 10. This isn't to help organize it. No. It's, it's a single unit of currency in this game is a, one of these bundles. It's a bundle of money. They, they, they wanted to make it feel like you're, you're throwing fat stacks of cash at... At your your CCG and spending the money. This is this is ridiculous. I'm I'm not I'm not very I'm not very happy about that choice. I don't I I understand kind of what they were going for aesthetically, but I don't see how anyone that plays games thinks that what what modern games need is more paper money. Well, and so here's my 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 thought from a questionable production choice type of. You've already got an eighty dollar price point on this game. And you're throwing disgusting paper money at me that everybody hates. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to make me count it all out, put it in a stacks, and bundle it myself. Which, by the way, we have machines that do that for people. Yeah. Um, like, they, they don't have a bank branch <laughs> anywhere near where they made this game? And you're still going to make me pay $80. At that point, what was the price point that it had to be at to get a better, better like, currency situation? Yeah. Because if you're talking, bump it up to a $99.99 game or- and... Pre-built, I, pre-built stacks, you know, or, which and a machine sorts decent? through them all, does it all for like, me, and, and you've pre-built stacks for me. So we've all seen some questionable production questions in some of the games we've played. Um, I think another big one has got to be Legendary. Yeah, Legendary, classic. And I, I, think we've, I think we've even come on here and complained about this in the past. Uh, you know, Legendary is, is this, this game where you have you know, 20 different small decks and you combine them all in different ways to set up your game. And it makes it very, very kind of variable and gives it a lot of replay value. But when you first buy it, it's not these 20 different sets of, of cards all, all stuck in this box. It's three or four very large decks that now you were tasked with having to sort out no, all of these There's cards. no, like, code. Like, if you well, look like there, at there, Arkham... There are... There, there are to a certain extent. If you look at Arkham, I think they did it right. But here's a stack of cards. They all have yeah. A1, A2, A3, da, yeah. da, da. And you don't even have to know what any of those cards mean. You don't have to know what anything's going on. It says put A678 with B234. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. is that is and, this deck. In, in Arkham Horror, on the surface, when you pull those cards out, it looks like you're in for a serious ordeal. Like coming from a world where a legendary exists, yeah. you know, that's a frightening, a frightening thought. But then you kind of... Get through the rules a little bit, wrap your head around it. I think they could have made it cleaner in the yeah. presentation, but once you've got a good grasp on it, it's like, okay, so my this deck is going to have this set of cards in here, you know, in in, in this basic arrangement. Legendary so like, there's no question. I just just run through and I grab them. Every single card has its own special yeah. code, so you can identify it based just on that code. Legendary's like, here's grab the bad guys, and you're like, yeah, legend oh, and and. The uh, bad guys. You know, the, so, so the issue I have with it, though, is is legendary. I mean, it's a card game, so it's mm-hmm. giving you a bunch of cards. 
this is also a card game, but the paper money that they're putting in there is what you need to bundle up and what's causing you all this extra work. It's not yeah. even the part of the... I mean, it's not even a big part of the game. It's you, just it's, the it's, money. It's entirely unnecessary. It's, yeah, it's, it's something that could have been printed other, on cardboard yeah. and just been used as, as cardboard pieces or you plastic know, tokens or... Or, or single if, single pieces of paper that say ten on them. If we wanted There's to make any this, number of ways that you could have fixed this, rather than making everybody go through count through ten and put these put them in these little right. bundles. Yeah, yeah, dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, uh, I, I think something that I would have preferred over this that would even have been you know more realistic would have been to to take kind of the. Uh, some of the some of the more more modern monopoly games have used a kind of a credit card system where you have you have this little little electronic calculator that you can swipe your swipe your card through and add or subtract money whenever you're making some yeah. making a transaction like like Dude, that that cheesy. even would have been preferable so, to having to deal with with all of this this paper money i mean I- as somebody who doesn't get big into miniature games, and so I understand if you're somebody who likes to paint miniatures and all of that, this might be a bonus for you. But I was so mad the first time we played Super Dungeon Explorer because we were so hyped for this game. It's like, man, mm-hmm. we we're so excited to play it. We didn't realize it was going to be like two hours of just putting together miniatures. It's yeah. like, give us. A okay, heads that was up. more like four hours of putting together <laughs> miniatures, not yeah. two. Thank you. You know, and and that's and that's great if you're if you're the if you're the type that wants to. Wants to paint all of your minis and really kind of customize your game. Yes. Um, but you know w- the way the way we play, very few of our games get that much time investment before the first play. Like, it it's just ridiculous. doesn't. It just doesn't happen. We, you know, we're we're all about. We want to get it to the table. We want to get it played. Have some fun with it. And then you know move on to another game. We don't we don't repeat games. When you got often. when you're looking at a setup time of just getting the game prepared for play of like mm-hmm. 30 minutes and up just to get it ready for playment. Like another game that I love the game, but uh Dead of Winter flick them up. Like all oh, yeah. of these stickers. Like all of these stickers. And everybody who knows if you've ever had to sticker a component, you're not going to get it even. Nope. It's not going to you're going to do it six times for one component. Funny. It's going to look funny. And mm-hmm. when you've got all of these people and you've got to put stickers on both sides and then you've got their backpacks, you got to put stickers on the backpacks and then you got these it's like no. No. What is the price point that I could pay? that all of this is already done. Because I feel like when you're already in a game that is a $75 game, bump it up to 100 and I don't have to touch anything mm-hmm. except for to get it on the board and to get it set up. Yeah. Here's here's the part that I don't I don't get about how they how they're producing these games and you, they they went through playtesting on this. And I feel like the the appropriate playtesting strategy should be that you get a group of people that are kind of close to your close to your target audience that you're going to use as play testers and you give them the box and you say here's the box there's instructions inside go you know have fun and i don't think that's what they're doing when they play test these things i think i think especially a game like like millennium blades with this much this much setup in the beginning i think they are handing the play testers a game that's ready to go they might even go through the trouble of setting it up for them and then, uh, and then when you get to the play, you know, we see so many bad rule books. The only excuse for that is well, the at- playtesters must be getting help from the designers. And it's like, no, don't you can't do that. No, look at Robin because Sanders. I'm not going to have a designer of a game helping me figure it out when I first play it. The majority of of gamers they don't have access oh. to to that level of of experience when they start up a game the first time. 
look at Robinson Crusoe. That game infuriates me because that is one of my top ten favorite games. Like mm-hmm. I love Robinson it is, Crusoe. It is a fantastic that game. That rule book is trash. And mm-hmm. when you have player aids and like quick guides that directly like conflict with the basic rules without any rhyme or reason, yeah. it's supposed to be the same rule. When this happens, you do B. Right. However, if you look in the book, it's like, oh no! If you, this happens, you do B point five, and it's like, okay, do I do this or do I do that? It's like, who, yeah. okay. And I want to point out though, every game you have listed off so far is a small publisher production. Every single one of these, whether it's Robinson Crusoe, which comes from Portal Games, which when Robinson Crusoe was released wasn't huge, and it still isn't one of the biggest ones out there. You've got Millennium Blades, which is level 99, sure, which is yeah, a card not... game producer, and I mean very small. They're, they're very hit and miss with their games, too. This, exactly. this, this might I mean, be the best game they've ever produced, if if we can get around to playing it. Pretzel <laughs> Games for Dead of Winter, Flick em Up, is also not a... I mean, they're a small producer. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're uh, all small producers. You, it, It's the big difference of, of a large producer, a Fantasy Flight, somebody like that, Asmodee, versus the... Small guy in pretzel okay. and these others that don't a, a don't have near the money backing and they're not building as many of that game and trying to cut as much cost as they can so they can make a profit and make their next game and I think that's the big difference that you're getting into. I can say the same thing about Champions of Midgard. The expansion comes with multiple. I've got I don't know how many little small round wooden spheres. And sheets of stickers that I've got to put on them because oh, that's how the Kickstarter came. I mean, yeah. it is literally a hundred wooden spheres and two hundred stickers that I need to put on. Yeah, and, and yeah, I can see where, I can see where you're coming from there, but I think it's the same. It's the same kind of argument when you when you go see like a big budget film, you know, in the in the theaters. And thankfully, I think a lot of the big budget movies lately have been better. Uh, you know, excluding something like like Batman versus Superman, but you go see a film like that and you think they spent millions on this film. Why was it so bad? You know, and re- the writing is the cheapest part of all the things they had to spend money on. Yeah. Getting good writing is the least expensive part, and and you can see that in, you know, in a lot of much smaller budget productions that, you know, have excellent writing that are really well done. So I just. I just don't buy the I just don't buy the excuse that because they're a smaller publisher, they they had to go this route. They just didn't have the resource, you know. And maybe with Millennium Blades, I think there was an artistic decision, and they probably just didn't have a big enough team to have someone that would contradict and say, you know, yeah, from an artistic standpoint, this might be cool, but from a player standpoint, this is this is cruel. This is punishment. Um, First Martians. That I'm not giving them a pass on that. No, they had they had the entire community to to pull from to learn learn from their mistakes with Robinson Crusoe, and I and I feel like they didn't really they didn't really do what they needed to do to clean that yes. up. And I don't understand I don't understand how that happened. Uh, language barriers can't explain it. None of that well, can explain it. And Robinson Crusoe was such a hit, and it's an older game, so they've had plenty of time. To get feedback, they've mm-hmm. had plenty of time to tweak and work on terraforming Mars. That is why that game doesn't get a pass in my books because it's in this. It's such a close, you know, such a close replica of Robinson Crusoe, 
and you can go on any BGG thing anywhere, board game group, Facebook, wherever, and find somebody who's like, hey, Robinson Crusoe, good game, but that rule book, though. Yeah. And so you can't tell me that the people who worked on Terraforming Mars didn't say, well, we're getting this terrible feedback about our rule mm-hmm. book. Somebody along the way just chose that that is just what, what they are, and that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems deliberate in, in some of these situations, and so... That's... I don't even know if deliberate's the right word. It seems lazy. At a, at, at a, at a, to sound harsh, I don't mean to, but it you, almost you, seems lazy. I would go the route of ignorant in that they they wanted to do it their way, and that's the way they were going to do it. They weren't going to mm-hmm. take the criticism, the feedback from anybody. They were going to write it their way, and only their way. Maybe. And, I so. mean, that's, that, that's really, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it made a lot of money, so... Yeah. I mean, what? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's somewhere out, someone out there that that you know that style, that presentation really works for them. You know, maybe it isn't me. <laughs> you know, maybe this is just a a difference of opinion. But it seems like the community as a whole, with something like Robinson Crusoe, uh, you know, generally people think that that was done. The the rules were done poorly. A great game where the rules were done poorly. If, you know, if it was a terrible game, who would care? But yeah. But it's it's Robinson Crusoe is a very good game, and First Martians has every reason to be just as good, but they didn't fix those basic problems. So I think that's kind of just to sum up game game designers, game publishers, like play test your games and don't just yeah. like sit there at the table with the people that like wrote the game and mm-hmm. made the game and designed the game. You need to give it to strangers. You need to walk away and then they need to come and like, I don't know, anonymously give some sort of feedback so I don't feel pressure because mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine I would want to sit next to, you know, Bonacore and be like, this game is crap. Do you understand that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to do that. And so, you know, I would go to Bentley Cock and be like, what were you thinking? So maybe like some sort of anonymously giving some sort of feedback because some of these decisions that they make is so rough. And especially when you've already got a higher price point on your game and I have to spend, I don't even know how long this is going to take, wrapping money in a dollar mm-hmm. bills or in a little bill stacks. It does not. It also leaves a bad taste in your mouth to get the game started. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and that's that's without even uh, getting into now the the current challenges with all of these with all these stacks now that have been bundled up, they don't fit in the box anymore. Nope. And, and they, so the, there's a there's a fairly large insert here that's kind of sectioning off all the different card packs and everything else, and it looks like that insert is just going to have to go. And that's and that's a, that's a little bit frustrating because this is. You know, this is a this is a very heavy game, and we're throwing away the only semblance of organization that's that it's got. That's uh, for it's a little for, bit frightening, you for, know. For for the benefit of having stacks of paper money stickered mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and you, you talk so about trade off is not there. You talk about a heavy game like like Scythe or Twilight oh. Imperium Four. You know, you're not throwing away those inserts because that's madness. You know, yeah. you, you you could not function. With without that game having some degree of organization, and this is a game that is supposed to be, you know, on on an equal footing as far as weight to the to games like that. Well, I think if you're going okay, to Scythe do... doesn't really have an insert, though. I mean, let, let's no, be it's, honest it's, here. I mean, it's it's got something, and, and it, it you don't has need it a lot for Scythe. to hold the miniature, and that is it. Everything yeah. else is separated out into plastic baggies. There's a lot of components to Scythe, yeah, that are but... all separated out into plastic baggies. It doesn't have an insert. Well, I mean that's fair, but that you also really don't need much 
they're like each so, but I wanna, each each specific color has its own little bag of things, and that's all you really need to worry about. I want to throw yeah. out Devil's Advocate here. Take Pandasaurus, small publisher, and Wasteland Express. While yes, initial setup sucks because you have to punch everything and put it into those bins. At the end of the yeah. day, you walk out with a completely like almost professional insert right. for that, that an game. Excellent insert. And well, it was a professional insert. I mean, they contracted a company yeah, to make they it, an insert. And it's like a game tray style insert for it. Yeah, it's like you know you got a small publisher like that. Those are good choices to make. Their rule book, it's very clean. I I didn't feel like we had to go mm-hmm. diving for you know we didn't have to go look for a rod on the internet. We didn't have to go figure out a watch it play video just to get one of the rules. Rule books are hit and miss as it goes. I mean, yeah. Paul Paul and I just got done playing L five R and the rule book for that I thought was horrendous. It was yeah. It was very. It, it was made very no difficult sense half yeah. the time. I mean, we spent yeah. a long time looking through rules, just trying to find the rules because it's all that comes right. in the box is a learn to play. It doesn't come with any sort of rules reference. Evidently, yeah. they published a rules reference at some point because there's a PDF download you can get online. And if you play huh. L5R, I recommend you go get the rules reference PDF download online, which they printed at some point because it is exactly the same look and as the as the learn to play but has every rule in it the learn to play just kind of walks you through it and that's it and misses and kind of leaves out quite a bit of information but yeah, fantasy flight big publisher rule book terrible it, it it i mean it from a rule standpoint it mm-hmm. really doesn't matter everybody is different it just is terrible sometimes so we're gonna move on because we are running a lot of stuff into this one hour show here so sorry sorry millennium blades not not no mean to beat you up too much we'll leave you alone we'll see what the game plays like i'm sure it'll play a lot better than the setup was this might be a great game and we're definitely going to give it a shot um so paul has a segment he would like to cover so we are going to let paul take control and host the show for a few minutes so we're not scared at all so I thought I'd have a little bit of fun here. Um, so you know, we we spend a lot of time around around board games and you know things related to board games. It's a big big part of our lives and big part of uh, big part of what what occupies our time and our minds. Um, so so you know, the two of you are fairly well versed in the world of games. Uh, we've also seen a trend as. As tabletop gaming moves more and more into the mainstream, you know the, you know the nerds are kind of taking over uh, popular culture a little bit. So what this leads to is inevitably uh, you start to see a lot of a lot of movies and television shows that are integrating tabletop games and uh, and then sort of creating their own fictional games. So being that. We've got a group of people here that are very, uh, very experienced and very knowledgeable on the subject. I thought I would see how good the two of you are at identifying what is a fake game and what is a real game. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh gosh. Um, so most <laughs> most of this is taken from from television shows because this is the sort of thing they 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 trade in most often. But it's you know TV's movie where. Where a game was introduced that is uh, that is entirely fictional, you know, um, you think along the lines of along the lines of a uh, Cones of Dunshire, you know, mm-hmm. it's a game that was sort of a sort of a throwaway joke that sort of 
sort of blew up into its own thing. Um, you know, but but it, but sure. Yeah. Well, it's all about the cones. It was, uh, it it was Parks and Rec. Yeah. It was actually produced for Gen Con as a kind of a promotional stunt. And, and the rumor is that there's a playable version of it, but you can't get it because it was never really produced or something, you know, something like that. Um, these are all, so specifically the, the measure of what is real is, is it listed on board game geek? Okay. Um, that's a real game. Okay. If if the game appeared, you know, appeared on screen, but does not have an entry in Board Game Geek, well, we're going to say that's that's a fictional game. Okay. okay? All right. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, each one of you will get a chance. I'm going to give you two games, and you're going to see if you can identify identify which one is real, which one's fake. Okay. All right. So let's let's uh let's flip a coin. See who goes first. I don't see the coin. I think this is rigged. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got. All right, so he's somebody, say, somebody, say. somebody call heads or tails. Heads. Heads. <laughs> All right. I did it first. It's me. Okay. All right. So we've got heads. Yay! All right. So Michelle, first one. Which of these games is a real okay. board game? Real board game. Is yeah. it a question of scruples? Uh huh. Or Good Samaritan. A question of scruples. You are correct. I know I'm correct. Que- it's a, a question of scruples. Not a good game. <laughs> That's how I remember that game. Sorry, guys. Yeah, so it's that a. Game. Yeah, this was this game. was produced in 1984 by Milton Bradley. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's it, not. It's, it's you. Pre- you're presented with a moral dilemma, and for whatever reason, you're trying to get yeah, the same answer was, as another player. Yeah, uh-huh. it's not. It's, uh, it's no bueno. It's like before apples to apples, and it was. It was weird. It was not. It was. It was like supposed to be in that mm. same genre. Yeah, I'm gonna need everybody at, to ignore at, at the, the typing I'm gonna do during my question. By the oh, way, oh man, I forgot. <laughs> no Google. Forgot about that Google. Uh, you know, if anyone who was interested, Good Samaritan appeared on an episode of The Simpsons, episode uh, ten of season four. It's one of the nope. One of the I uh, heard of either. So one of the <laughs> the games that that Ned's kids played with. Oh, that sounds played with uh, them yeah, at one I, point. I could see that. Okay. All right, Jay's turn. All right, Jay. Oh, crap. All right, I got this. <laughs> okay. Hold on, we're keeping Which score, one? right? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Cash I and prizes. I got it in my head. Cash and prizes. Okay. I'm All right. up one nothing. Excellent. Sounds, sounds pretty accurate. Okay. Which one is the real game? Who killed who or what the face? What the face. Do you think what the face is a real game? Yes. What the face was produced in 2014 by Spin Masters Limited. It is uh, essentially a game where you prejudge people based on it's pictures, like, yeah. sort of like apples to apples. Well, it was it's kind of like uh, Guess Who? A little bit Guess Who-ish, because you've got all these different faces, mm-hmm. but it's more like a feeling. Who yeah. do you think would steal from you in a movie theater? It is, it is, it is, it is, generally, it, it is generally intended to be a, a somewhat offensive mm-hmm. game. Uh, who Killed Who appeared on an episode of The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Season two, episode four. I don't even know that show. It's 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 a it's a, it was a like a cartoon show where these kids were friends with the Grim Reaper and would have adventures. Okay, noted. So, uh, yeah, the the, the okay. game the game was essentially a ripoff of Clue. Okay. All right, Michelle. What? You ready? I'm ready. This I'm winning right good. now. Just FYI. Yeah. No, I'm up tied. to nothing. That sounds we're pretty tied. close. And if I could ring in before you, I had that way before you. <laughs> okay. All right, Michelle. Yes. 
Which one is a real game? Okay. Is it the lawyer's game or Congress the home game? Oh, crud. It's it's Congress the home game. Congress the home game? Yeah. That appeared on season 21, uh-huh. episode yep. 66, 65 of The Daily Show. Episode, yeah, episode 65. Okay, well, we're still tired. Uh, yep. Stuck out. So, The Lawyer's Game is a game that was produced in 1992, and it's Ooh. basically a party game where people plead a case and other uh, players kind of vote. like a fun employment type thing. Yep. Why, right. why don't we have buzzers? I wanted to buzzer that. I one. know, right? Like, we need <laughs> I needed a buzzer. Ding! Oh. There you go. <laughs> I was going with more buzzer wizards. All right. I wanted to answer because I knew you were wrong. <laughs> Thanks. He's 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 very much up on his his legal board games. He knows he knows yes. what's up. Okay. All right, Jay. Are you ready for this one? No. Excellent. All right. <laughs> Is the real game peasant buffet Ooh. or the game of lint? The game of lint. The game of lint is the real game. Yes. That one also appeared on The Simpsons. <laughs> Oh, great, great. Uh, season 10, episode 11. Now, the, the real game was Peasant Buffet, released in 2015 by Wargy Studios. Uh, and it's a kind of a press-your-luck card game about monsters eating peasants in a village. Peasants. Okay, Trogdor, got it. Excellent. So, all right. <laughs> we're, so still we're, we're still tied. We're still, still tied, one-to-one. Excellent. We're doing great at this, leading. Jay. Uh, we're doing real good at this, know, Jay. We, we, we'll, have to, we'll have to do a recount at some point, I'm sure. Hanging Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Michelle? Yes. Which one of these is a real game? Is it Double Cranko or Shenanigans? Okay. It's Shenanigans. Shenanigans is a real board game. I've seen it, like, at Target, I think. Shenanigans, at least uh, one version of it. I'm, I think there's probably more than one, but uh, it was released in 2009 Woo-hoo! by Red Rock Games. It, Give her all the easy ones. It's not fair. Give, oh, yeah. Give her all the easy ones. I, you know, I, I, I almost half expected you to recognize Double Cranko, <laughs> which I believe was first seen on season six, episode 18 of MASH. I've not watched it is, MASH. It is, it is it is a it is a combination of a couple of games, but is ultimately just a drinking game with the intention of getting drunk. Mash. What is this? I what thought you were this? old. Don't you want? Didn't you want? Whoa! Ooh. Whoa! Ooh. Well, don't so. get an extra point for him being a jerk. No. <laughs> okay. This isn't Hogwarts battle. You don't get any extra points. All right, Jay. Are you ready for this? No, not not at all. Good. <laughs> okay. The next one is uh, which one of these is a real game? Is it you suck <laughs> or not sorry? You suck. Okay. You no, suck. You suck. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, it's just comment on the game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, you suck. Released 2013 by Bezier Games. Uh, where you? <laughs> oh, Bezier, what are you doing? You play a you play a tick, and it's a trick taking game. Ew, no. Uh, no. Not sorry was seen on an episode of The Colbert Report. It was season nine, episode one eighty-eight. Okay, one. I like trick-taking games. Two. I really don't like ticks, so that sounds awful. <laughs> Seems like a legitimate game. I mean, I, I'd okay, be so we're tied it. again. I play right? it once. Yeah. We're tied again. Two, two. Right. Right. Two. Okay. All right. 
Do we have a tiebreaker? We we can do a tiebreaker. <laughs> All right. So Michelle's up. Uh huh. Okay. Which one is the real game? Okay. This one might be too easy. Okay. Is it Grand Theft Auto the board game, or Breaking Bad the board game? Oh, Breaking Bad the board game. It's okay, even got way little, too easy it's, of a question. It's even got the cool little blue meth cubie thingies. It, it, I randomized these. No so. question. No no question on that one. Uh huh. Okay. Yep. Uh, Breaking Bad the board game, which I believe is set to release later this yeah. year. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. we got to see Edge it. Entertainment. Yeah, it's awesome. um, looks like it should be a pretty good game. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that question counts. She saw it at Gen Con. Uh, I'm, you could have seen I'm things at count Gen Con. You, I mean, you saw things. I knew it was a real game. But... <laughs> yeah, Grand Theft Auto the board game was featured on Mad TV Season <laughs> 5, Episode 13. Wow. I remember when Mad TV was a thing. All right, Jay. What's Mad TV? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Jay. See if you I'm ready. Can, if you can get this. this one tied up again. It's worth double points, right? If I get it. Uh, it's the extra hard question worth double points so I can win this and no. break this tie? Pretty sure that's the way it works. Uh, okay. Well, let's see how you do on this one. Uh, is the real game, is it Titanic, the board game, or Nukem? <laughs> Play the video game. Nukem's a real board game. Nukem, sure. Nukem was uh, was introduced to the world uh, on in the film RoboCop. Yeah. Yep, because you were not around when Titanic was a thing, and there nope. was Titanic everything, including so, a board game. Titanic I was around when Titanic was a thing. Thank you. <laughs> Titanic the board game was released in 1998 of course yeah. during the yep. during the whole uh, the whole craze of the film and and everything that spawned from that uh, put out by Universal Games and Ooh. if the idea of it is not offensive enough yet uh, the whole point of this is you're trying to gather up property and maneuver onto the best position on the ships so that you can get to the lifeboats instead of other people Wow so there's your daily dose of offensive okay. there you go so <laughs> So wait, uh, this means world. I'm winning. Yep. Yeah. So I, there you go. You you won. I've won. Woo. Uh, yeah. There were <clears throat> there there were a staggering number of of these games, um, <laughs> and it's 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 pretty it's pretty unbelievable. But yeah. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, I won, so I approve of that segment, and it should come back. <laughs> um. So we're gonna do. We have to get you a new competitor next time. I think. I think. Uh, I think Jay's gonna be gonna be busy that day. Salty. Yep. A little salty. Um. So salty because you got the easy questions. <laughs> so, uh, we're not gonna talk too much on Pandemic Legacy, uh, because we are actually, if you're listening to this, we've already because science is fun. We've already put out our first episode of all the spoilered. If you if you heard us talking about Pandemic Legacy, it's because we've already talked about it. If you haven't heard it, it's because we haven't talked about it yet. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So Everybody watch ready? for our second show. Um, that will be all of the spoiled Pandemic Legacy. We just got through done with our first mm-hmm. month. Yeah, we're going to we're going to keep all we're going to keep spoilers out of this episode as best we can in case uh, in case you're getting ready to. Ready to ready to do a run through. And on if that. you are, you should play your month and then listen to us, and we can see yeah. how we did. And Excellent. I think that'd be yeah. very cool. Let us know. Did you do? Because our first game, like 
we was lost. amazing. We did awesome. We lost so so, uh, so te uh, technically we we won the first game. The no, we won but it the was prologue. A, yeah, it was, a, it, was it was not a so it was not a real game. Uh, similar to the original Pandemic Legacy, there's a recommendation that just to get used to the rules, uh, you go ahead and run through the board and play just kind of a vanilla game on it. Season two, um, without getting too much into it, we'll we'll talk about that yeah. elsewhere. But without getting too much into it, season two is very much a different game. It this is. is not this is not your vanilla pandemic. Yes. The yes. the the mechanisms here, you know, everything is very much very much different than what you're used to. Um, there's some of the some of the mechanisms, some of the play style is familiar, but it's a it's a uh, whole different game. It is a whole box of cookies, and I think that is what I am so excited about because mm. I was a little worried to open up this box and be like, okay, I love me some pandemic. But man, I was a little worried that it was going to be. I would too say the vanilla. mechanics are the same. The play is different. <laughs> I love. I love the mechanics. We're like, no. Just, yes. There you go. Just, just broke the internet with that one. No, you're I, welcome. I, I, can, I, I can see where you're going there. You know, there, yeah. there are a lot of, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't rewrite the whole book for, for this game. But yeah, what you're, what you're playing is. Um, you know your your goals your strategies are going to be going to be different it's not it's not quite what you're used to i mean it's familiar enough that you can say yes this is this is a flavor of pandemic um and i feel like it's got uh it it does really well at hit, hitting those kind of notes of urgency and 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 getting you getting you kind of sucked into it um i think it does a really good job of that so so in an effort to not talk too much about pandemic on this and just kind of cover I thought the game played really well, and I was really happy with the way it's played so far. I'm looking forward to the future months, mm -hmm. and we'll cover this again, I assume, at the end of once we're completely done and giving a full wrap-up of, of our thoughts on it, not going into spoilers. And we'll also have an episode that, if you want to listen to the spoilers, we'll have you, you could listen to last week. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. We'll have so, released last week. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're not wanting to hear spoilers, don't listen to our all pandemic episode because mm -hmm. yeah, we we are going to spoil. We're going to spoil season one because we're not holding anything back. We're going to spoil season one. We're going to spoil season two. So mm -hmm. because we, I would like to do some comparing yeah. of things you've seen in season one and, and compared to season two. So please. But I mean, I think I think uh, you know just just for anybody that was kind of on the fence, you know, if you if you enjoyed season one and you're. Not 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 sure about getting into season two. I, I'd say so far it's looking like this is a this is a good pick. It it seems like they really uh, they really they really put some effort into this and really really thought it through in a good way. I think I think it's moving in a very positive direction so far. Uh, they did get a little bit weird, which I appreciate. Uh, and, I'm okay, it's a little weird. And I think I think they've they've so far they've they've hit the mark pretty well. Um, you know it's. It, you know, you have all the packages to open, and, and it's been it's and been I'm fairly exciting. All of them. She's shaken all of them, <laughs> and she's already been wrong on the first one, so it's okay. <laughs> True. Uh, that's it that's, was, that's generally how that goes. Yeah, it's it's like oh no. So, uh, well, one last thing to touch on before we let you go. Um, uh, Paul has an update. Uh, we talked about at Gen Con how somebody stole the only copy, mm. like demo copy. That they had out for it you to look one at. Of, one of two demo yeah. copies of Dinosaur, Dinosaur Island, Island, which is a game that uh, has been getting a lot of a lot of buzz, a lot of positive attention. It was a big, it was a big deal and a big a big demo 
released at Gen Con, and then of course somebody, someone, someone managed to walk off with a demo copy. So, uh, you know, once once the internet got wind of it, everybody's been been kind of on the lookout for where is this going to end up, what's going to happen to it. Uh, so a couple of days ago, it did show up on eBay, uh, and then of course. You know, there was much yelling and screaming from from the internet that's been looking for it. So it showed up on eBay. Um, you know, they 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 all but you know tracked this guy to his house to to find him. Uh, but at this point, it's you know once now that now that somebody's got got a read on it, it's going into the hands of of law enforcement to do the the follow up investigation. Um, it's not really clear at this point if the seller on eBay was was the person that stole it, or even necessarily aware that they were they were dealing in merchandise that that they didn't have a right to sell. Um, it's somebody that on their page, a lot of what they're selling is just listed as they they have a lot of uh, sports memorabilia and, and other collectibles. So so it was probably something that that uh, was sold to them and that they're now trying to resell. I think I think the the thread to get back to who actually who actually perpetrated the theft is is going to be a little bit longer than that. And of course, it's in the hands of law enforcement, so it may be it may be some time before we hear any any results out of that. Um, hopefully this means that the demo copy since, since a, you know, an owner or, or you know, uh, someone, someone in possession of it has been, has been at least partially identified through their eBay account. Um, hopefully that means that the game's going to, going to go back to its rightful home. Uh, but you know, again, the, the damage here was done. The, the whole point behind that game, the whole, the, the, the reason why these demo copies of games exist is so that you know people that attend these conventions get an opportunity to play, and you know a lot of people at Gen Con were were deprived of that opportunity because someone had stolen it. And now, you know the game the game is is going to be releasing, and you're going to be able to buy a copy if you want to play now. Um, so you know it's still it's still kind of a sad story, but it's good to hear that there's you know there's a there's a a decent chance that that there will be some justice served here, yeah. and that you know that all of that's going to be resolved. Uh, you know, if if we hear anything else about it, we'll let you know. But of course, if if it's in the hands of law enforcement, then there's not going to be a lot of uh, a lot of real public announcements in that direction until all of that gets resolved. Yeah, uh, it's sad what happened. I'm, I mean, that's just sad, especially as gamers. Like at Gen Con, you really feel like there's all of these people and they're everywhere, like mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard not to feel like you could talk to any one of them about, like, and that you could trust anybody. Like, I don't know how many times, like, I had set something down and almost walked off and said, oh, crap. And oh, yeah. In a group and that constantly. Big, like, yeah. people are always leaving things behind and, and you know, you get tired. Big, if you turn your back, it could walk off. But because, yeah, like, it's Gen Con, you didn't really have to worry because it's all a bunch of gamers and we're mm -hmm. all cool. And so, but, and unfortunately when those things happen, it makes you realize, oh, but there's still bad people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and we didn't even, we didn't even talk about the kind of, kind of strange, uh, strange encounter that we dealt with where we had someone, someone approach us that was, you know, yeah. asking to borrow a badge to, to run in and make a, make a purchase real quick, um, which of course, you know, the badges all have have your individual names on them. So they're not, they're not transferable badges. That's not something that's, that's allowed. And, and that's, you know, so of course we're, you know, we're not interested in doing that even with the best of intentions, but you know, you look at a situation like that and you think, 
I don't know if he was looking to make a purchase or if he was really just trying to walk off you know trying badge. to scam somebody off of their badge and hopefully no one fell for it and, yeah uh, because you know once once he get once you get inside that exhibit hall uh, you know he can just run off and you're, you're never you going to be able to find never, him again yeah because then now you're you don't have a badge so then they're not going to let you in and you know the 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 idea that you let someone else borrow your badge is not going to get you a lot of sympathy so yeah so just, the uh, the other the other thing I'd like to point out is we being our second time to Gen Con and the first time we you know didn't just shuttle in and get dropped off at the front door so we were driving in parked and we were following the crowd because we I think we got there a little bit early mm-hmm. following the crowd that was outside and we parked behind yeah. the convention center and most of the crowd was going into this back entrance which we thought just went into the convention center turned out it went straight into the exhibit hall and as we were walking in mm-hmm. nobody yep. stopped us nobody questioned it they, they well, just they, wave they, you right through they, and they, they led us in there you know we're, yeah, there we're walking around looking the for the <laughs> looking for the entrance mm-hmm. that we're looking for and he's you know and he's saying hey you know you're supposed to come in here and yeah no 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 we 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 are not supposed to come in here this is not for <laughs> and, us this is not our door it just happened i mean I think I think we had some weird look, and then as as I was, I think I was the last one. As I was walking in, he's like, "You guys with the, you guys are exhibitors, right?" And it uh-huh. was it was that last second question because we had a weird look on our face because it walked right into the exhibit hall, yeah. and and because they don't display that real well on the badges, and I think yeah. that causes some confusion there too with the mm-hmm. volunteers and the support staff that they have. In knowing who's actually an exhibitor, who should be able to access those those back entrances, which then lead to additional issues of games walking off or, or people yeah, being security. there that shouldn't be yeah. in there. Well, and um, to be honest, I think if we had ill intentions and, and, and went in more confidently and obviously not confused because we were totally confused why they were letting us in, I think it wouldn't have taken much for us to walk in there. Mm-hmm. If we acted like we knew what we were doing and acted like we knew where we were going, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. Yeah, you know, and but now the other side of that is once we got in there, what we what we were we going to do, and what would yeah. the consequences have been? Most likely, one of the other exhibitors would have would have recognized that we didn't necessarily yeah, belong, exactly. and that starts that starts a, a line of questioning that can kind of get your va- your your badge taken from you, and that's that's not something that we're looking to do. So. Yeah. So, but I think this is a, a moment where you'd really have to realize that even in a, you know, a group of like people that you feel like you're connected to because you're all there for the same reason, you're all there to have a good time and enjoy some games, just to remember that not everyone is there just to enjoy mm-hmm. a good, you know, a good time and then play games. Um, obviously I encourage like playing games with people you don't know. Like that's, what's great about a con is you can sit down with 30 people that you don't know and you're all going to play games together and it's all great. Um, but keep yourself safe and, and keep yourself uh, keep yourself in a situation where you're taken care of and your belongings and your family or whoever else you have with you is taken care of um, because it is easy to get kind of lulled into a sense of security. And I'm sure that's exactly, I mean, if I were a vendor, it would be really easy to be like, yeah, you've got all these people and they're all there. And, and to be real like lenient about some of the stuff that you have out because you wouldn't think that somebody would do what they did. So just remember that when you're in these crowds, or even at a game day, I mean, you, at the end of the day, you don't know people. So keep, have fun, have a great time, enjoy company, but make sure you're doing it safely. Mm-hmm. 
So with that, we are going to be out. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and send us your comments there. Uh, we are going to be working on doing a top 30 games of the of all time at the end of the year. And we're going to also be doing a top 10 games of 2017 here as the year starts to wrap up. So look forward to that. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, once again, look at Facebook at Breaking the Dice and Twitter at Breaking the Dice. 